Welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Mike Smith. Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to be here this morning. I don't know about you, but I am, I've got a confession to make. I'm really tired. I was up watching the elections until about one o'clock last night. (laughs) And then I thought, and I didn't get to finish my sermon because I was so involved in the election, so I thought I've got to get up early, and because I knew I had to get up early, I couldn't sleep because I was anxious about sleeping. You know how that happens? So I got up very early. I thought, oh, it's 20 to 7. It gives me a couple of hours, and I got up at 27, but then I realized it was 20 to 6, and I thought, coffee. (laughs) So I'm sort of zinging with caffeine at the moment. I'm, you know, I'm so excited about the fact that we have got a, um, a prime minister who is just so absolutely on fire for God. He is a absolute, um, ScoMo is absolutely, in fact, he's from our denomination, the Australian Christian, an ACC boy. And um, I'm very excited. I've, I, in all the time I've watched politics, I don't know whether we've ever had a leader who has had such a committed faith in Christ as Scott Morrison. And so it's, we could see something amazing in the next period of time while he's in. And I just thought it was amazing that um, people said, for this guy to get in, it's going to take a miracle. Everybody said that. It'll take a miracle. And even as he was sort of walking through the crowd, one of the reporters um, said, um, this is a miracle. And Scott said, I believe in miracles. (laughs) Praise God. It's good to be speaking. It's actually a bit intimidating speaking, apart from the fact that I'm tired and I've had too much coffee. But in recent weeks, you've had, um, we have got such amazing speakers at our church here. You know, I, I just think um, Justin is just absolutely blitzing it with his messages. And whilst I'm um, away a lot in different churches, I'm hearing such great feedback and uh, heard Lee last week and she spoke so good. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, you had. Um, Chris Gore here on a Sunday night, and I had people saying to me that was one of the best nights they've ever experienced as a Christian, which was just phenomenal. And then a few weeks ago, there was um, Hill spoke and Olivia and, um, and my son Mitchell. I can't believe Mitchell is preaching because Mitchell was the person who said, oh, I'm never going to speak. I, it just wasn't his thing. And people are coming up and saying, oh, my goodness, there's an anointing on his life. And then last week, Julie spoke. Oh, my goodness, Julie, <laughs> Catherine Kuhlman. <laughs> anyway, it's my turn. This morning, I am going to be speaking on the subject, the power of passion. That's my subject. In fact, just before I start, I would really like it if I could have a glass of water. Who is the deacon on duty this morning? (laughs) I don't answer. (laughs) Fine. Um, The power of passion. I'd like to show you a a very fascinating location in the nation of Israel that I have been to with Julie. Could I, Jen, if you could just put this up. This, This picture here is a picture of a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is sort of north, north of, north of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi. It's also known as Panius. 
It's got a very, very interesting history. Ah, what an amazing man. Craig Bateman. Thank you so much. Were you the deacon on this morning? Well. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Good on you, man. Thanks. Caesarea Philippi, very interesting place. If you go back into Old Testament history, it really was where Israel started to get involved in idolatry, worship of other idols with uh, with Jeroboam. And then um, as time went by, it it became a center of of Baal worship. And then in the, uh, the Roman, the, in the, the Greek and Roman times, um, the worship of Pan was widespread. Thus, Caesarea Philippi is also known as Panius, named after um, the, god, the god Pan. Could I have the next slide? This is, the, uh, this is a picture of the god Pan. He was sort of half man, half goat. And I, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you that the the spiritual climate and the moral climate of Caesarea Philippi was just totally, how would I put it, debauched. Um, It was like Sin City. It sort of made Las Vegas, which people call Sin City, like it, it was like a pastor's picnic. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was terrible. If you could just go back, Jen, to to that one before. So this is Caesarea Philippi. That cave there, um, inside the cave, there is down very, very deep, there were subterranean waters. It was like a, but the people at the time thought it was quite miraculous. There was this, this supply of water. And so the belief amongst the Romans and the, and the Greeks was that this is where um, gods and demon spirits lived. You know, the Bible talks about they get attracted to water. And so it was, it was, very, 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 very demonic. Uh, so much so that the Jewish people were told, you are not allowed to go there. Keep away from this place. This is a bad, bad place. Now, I want to tell you, and you probably know this anyway, this was the place where um, Jesus made his incredible declaration about the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it was at Caesarea Philippi, at at this place here, where Jesus said in the message version, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. It was... Jesus made his declaration not at a religious center like Jerusalem, but he made his declaration about this was the church that he saw. He was prophesying about a church, which it wasn't a building, it was people that would be unstoppable. Um, can you go back to the first one again, just to that to, to first one there, Jen? That... Um, Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to keep it out. That area was actually called, they actually called it back then the gates of hell, that area there. And they believed that behind it was where, uh, as I said, uh, demonic spirits and stuff um, existed. But I want you to know that when Jesus said the gates of hell will be unable to keep it out, the word gates, the, the connotation for the word gates, they were like defensive gates. It was as though that these were defensive gates that would stop the enemy from coming in. And Jesus is saying about the church, the church is going to be so powerful, so anointed, so full of the Holy Spirit that 
the gates of hell would be forced back. They would not be able to hold the advancement of Jesus' church. I just love that. Praise God. It, um, Jesus says that as the church, us, is advancing, it'll become unstoppable. And even the hardest places are going to fall. Even the hardest places. Nothing can stand against, against God's people. Jesus, after saying that to his disciples, his disciples were probably sort of like, oh man, that's a, this is pretty intense. And I don't even know whether they really understood the full context of the church or what Jesus had in store. But Jesus sort of, as time went by, he sort of expanded on this a little bit. In fact, the day before he was crucified, we have in John's Gospel what is called Jesus' farewell address which is sort of like John chapter 14 through to 17, where he spoke some incredible things uh, to his disciples just before he was crucified. And in regards to the church and in regards to believers who would be so expansive with energy, Jesus said in John, John chapter 14 verse 12, he said, um, said, I tell you the truth, you will be able to do the works that I have been doing and even greater works than these. Jesus is starting to, to, to show just the power of what Christians could do. So powerful that the strongest places, the hardest places, the most, the most difficult places, the, peop- the places where people say, how can the gospel penetrate? Those gates will be forced back when the church understands their authority in Christ. And then the very, very last words that, that Jesus spoke, his very last words, um, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 sums it all up. But you will receive power. Greek word dunamis, dynamic, miracle power. You will receive it when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even in the the hardest places. Jesus is saying... To his disciples, he said, the time is going to come when you will be so empowered that you are literally going to infiltrate the whole world. You're going to go out to the whole world and you're going to take ground for me. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. We know all about that. And we saw the emergence of God's family, new creation man. Um, in Acts chapter 2, new, the Holy Spirit came and this, this prophesied church had its beginnings. New creation man. Immediately we saw the power when Peter went out and he preached and 3,000 people were saved in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, we, we, we see people doing the works of Jesus. Peter and John go out and in Acts chapter 3, the miracle happened and the lame, the lame man walked. The, the church is emerging. The church that Jesus saw, the church so expansive with energy, not even the gates of hell could keep it out. And as the church developed, we see the apostles just demonstrating incredible anointed um, preaching and signs and wonders and miracles and healings. The apostles were just absolutely blitzing it. But God wanted more than just the apostles. He wanted more. Um, And he didn't just want it in Jerusalem. God's plan was all believers everywhere. 
This was God's plan, that he'd send his Holy Spirit upon all flesh and it would be all believers and it would be everywhere. You know, today, there are a certain percentage, a small percentage of people are apostles. Small percentage of people are evangelists. Small percentage of people are probably pastors or teachers. A small percentage. But I just want to tell you that 100% of us have been called to be witnesses for Christ. It's not 90%. It's not as though you are the person who is, uh, is disqualified or isn't going to succeed. 100% of God's family have been called to be witnesses because we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And, um, but they weren't doing it. It was just the apostles. The believers were just sort of letting them do the work. Well, things started to change. And it's interesting that persecution came. And when persecution came, when difficult times came, the church got mobilized. There was a defining moment in church history, a defining moment, and it was a church prayer meeting. It was in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 4. This is part of the prayer. We, we know this, but this was a defining moment in church history. Persecution had come, and now all the believers came together, and they prayed, give us your servants great boldness. They needed boldness because they were coming under persecution. Their lives were being threatened, and they were scared. This wasn't just the apostles. This was the whole church that Jesus had prophesied would just take the gospel to the whole world. Give us yourselves great boldness in preaching your word and stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this type of prayer for boldness and power and signs and wonders and miracles, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What, an, what a beautiful prayer. What a powerful prayer. Give us boldness in preaching, healing power, signs and wonders. And then they had a Holy Spirit encounter. Praise God. This saw the emergence of the type of church that Jesus always wanted. It was after this prayer meeting when they prayed for boldness, not just the apostles, all it's all the, the, the emergence of the church, so expansive with energy. And in Acts chapter 8, we see something so incredibly significant. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, let me just read this to you. This is, again, this is, these are the defining moments for Christianity. The prayer meeting, and now we've got here, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That was when we had the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed. And all, and listen to this, and all except the apostles were scattered. So they're, they're no longer in Jerusalem. God's plan was the whole world. Persecution came and they're now scattered. They were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 8, and those, the all, the people, not the apostles, those who went out who had been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. The church that Jesus saw a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell could keep it out, were now advancing. The church was now advancing everywhere. 
These were, were believers. And can I tell you, we saw just what new creation man could do. We can now see. These weren't apostles. There's a guy called Philip. He wasn't an apostle. He was one of the deacons, like Craig, who came up and gave me this beautiful glass of water. Cheers. The Bible says that Philip went to Samaria and there was a whole city revival. A man went out. Samaria was a tough place. There was a lot of occultic activity. But the gates of Samaria couldn't stand when, when, when the, the man of God, the spirit-filled man, went in there. The whole place was opened up. And then um, that was a city. But it wasn't just a city. It was individuals as well. On the way back, um, he had an encounter with the Ethiopian official and he led him to the Lord. The, this was the, the emergence of the church that Jesus saw, where normal, normal Christians invaded the outermost parts of the world with a gospel of love, forgiveness, ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. This, was, this is what Jesus always envisaged. My people would, would, would go out. This was a church Jesus saw. This is, and this is how he sees you. This is how he sees me. This is how he sees us. This is how he sees destiny, soon to be Echo Church, as a church that is advancing. Praise God. I just want to dispel a myth, which so many people, I think, maybe hold to. The myth is that you've got to be super experienced, spiritually mature, you, you've got to get a Bible college. You've got to be educated before you can start being an effective witness for Christ. That, that just totally isn't true. It totally isn't true. I, I spoke to somebody, a minister. Uh, I spoke to a couple of ministers about this because I, I run a course about how to train people up to be witnesses for Christ. And a minister said to me, he said, I've got a lot of young, lot of young Christians in my, in, in my church. I want to do your course, but is it suitable for a very young Christian? And I said, as far as I'm concerned that as soon as a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are going to be a witness for Christ. We start immediately. You know, I, I know when I, I started witnessing as a believer on day one, I got saved on, it was a Tuesday night, and Wednesday I started, started sharing my faith. I knew nothing about theology, zilch. <laughs> All I had was, I know that Jesus has come into my life and I'm saved. And I knew nothing. I couldn't speak theology. I couldn't answer any questions. All I knew was I've been saved. And, and as I look, yesterday I was just thinking back to some of those early days. You know, I can remember, you know, in this, this was in the first couple of months that I was a Christian. I can remember going to a Christian's Bucks Night. A Christian Bucks Night. Now, I had been to many Bucks Nights before I was a Christian. And I'm not going to tell you what they were like. <laughs> but... Um, at this, and I thought, Christian Bucks Night, this is a bit weird. So I went there. I can remember we were at a Chinese restaurant and um, got there and I immediately ordered a huge beer. And then I sort of, after a while, thought, well, this probably back then it was kind of like frowned upon. And all the guys sort of looked at me and I oops, <laughs> guess I should have ordered lemonade. But anyway, we're sort of, sort of sitting around. That was, that was back then. And within about an hour, we had a prayer meeting. It was at a spinning table at a Chinese restaurant, and we ended up by having a, a prayer meeting in this Christian restaurant. And then it became a speaking in tongues prayer meeting. It was pretty wild. And then I can remember driving, driving back, and I think I was in the back of a ute, 
And we stopped and we picked up a couple of hitchhikers. This was around the King's Cross area. And I know they got in and I can remember for about half an hour I was preaching the gospel to them. I didn't really even know the gospel, to be honest. But I just started preaching and telling them about Jesus. And I remember going to a hairdressing salon. Sat down and the guy's cutting my hair and he says, what did you do at the weekend? And I said, well, on Friday night we had a church prayer meeting and on Saturday night I went out with the Christian commandos witnessing in King's Cross and Sunday morning I went to church and Sunday night I went to church and this very flamboyant hairdresser said to me, why so much church stuff? So I let loose and told him. And within a short time, I realized that the entire salon was listening to me. I didn't know much. I didn't know anything, really. Um, I wasn't spiritually mature. I still had some pretty bad habits in my life, which God was transforming. But what I had was there was a boldness and a passion. And there was a passion. And there was just something about, God, give us boldness. There was something about a passion that is just so incredibly important. I used to drive around looking for hitchhikers. I literally used to drive around in my car looking for hitchhikers to pick up to preach to. I wasn't ready. I, I, many will think I simply wasn't ready to be a witness for Christ, but from day one, I did it through love. And knowing that God had come into my life and that I was saved. And, and God honors that. Our Christian experience needs to be passionate. Our Christ, we need passion in our Christian experience. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Passion is just something that is so important for us to have. This is one of the prayers I pray more than any other. God, I just want to have a passion for you. Why do I pray it? Because sometimes I feel the passion's not there. And I hate that. And I look back to how passionate I was when I first received Christ. And I'm well aware that, you know, um, Jesus said to the church, at, what was it, at Ephesus, he said, you've, 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 you've lost that first love. And I knew how passionate I was when I was a Christian. When I do these ridiculous things, all I wanted to do was just, just live for God. But as I think back, I was just a single guy. I had time. I had all that. Now I'm older, older. I'm, I'm busy, family, stuff, 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 stuff. And it's easy, it's easy to be busy, and I've been a Christian for so long. It's all I can remember now. And it's easy to lose the edge, to lose the passion. But that's just an excuse at the end of the day. It's just an excuse. And so I'm just, gonna, I'm just speaking very personally in, in this message about you know, how I'm feeling about all this. I know the key to keeping passion in my life. It's by having encounters with God. That's the key. It is encounters. It's encounters. It's encounters. With, it's like that Acts chapter 4 prayer meeting. God, we, we are being persecuted. So please give us, give us boldness. We don't want to be fearful. We want passion. It's encounters. Encounters. 
And so for the rest of my time, I'm looking at my clock, for the remainder of my time, I want to talk about the type of encounters that I have that help give me zeal and passion after 40 years of being a Christian. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There are so many things. You can spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks talking about things. I'm just talking about the thing that God has put in my heart. So if you think, well, you haven't mentioned this or that, I know there's, there's a million things I haven't mentioned, but the things I am going to be mentioning, I think are very, very important. And I'm just going to make this statement now in, in regards to me. The type of encounters that I need in my life is what I would call the Isaiah encounters. Or if I was an American, I'd be saying the Isaiah encounters. Isaiah? Isaiah? Isaiah. The Isaiah encounters. The Isaiah encounters, um, look, Christian leaders, Bible commentators, whatever, talk about the call of Isaiah as being something that it should, it's not just the call of Isaiah, it needs to be the call of every single believer. There is this model call that we find in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah had an encounter with God, and it's the, it's the encounter that we all need that will change our lives. Um, it's, it was an encounter that Isaiah had with God that created in him such a high level of passion that he literally, I think it was about 50 years, he faithfully served God with great persecution and, 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 and opposition. He just had a life of intense passion and it started with an encounter. Let's read Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 to 3. This is, we all know this, but it's, this is the, the call that we all need. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Praise God. This was, this was a pretty intense encounter. Isaiah had this encounter where he saw the Lord. Question, can we today have encounters with God? Answer, Yes, he's available 24-7. He's always available. We can always have an encounter with God. You may be feeling spiritually as dry as a bone. And we've all had times like that. But can I tell you that God is available 24-7. He's just waiting to have an encounter with you. To have an encounter with God, Jesus talks about, well, for me, this works really well. He says, go into your room, shut the door, and... Start speaking to your heavenly Father. There's just something incredible about a prayer meeting because it is a prayer meeting. It is a meeting. It's a meeting with God. We can have meetings with God. We can put in our diaries, you know, 12 o'clock, meeting, lunch with Justin Box, 1.30, coffee with Ken, 3 o'clock, meeting with God. Like, God, you can have meetings with God everywhere, but there's something special about just coming in, closing the door, and just saying, undivided attention, Lord. I'm not going to be answering the phone, meeting other people. I'm just going to be speaking and listening to your voice. It's a prayer meeting. Prayer meetings are meetings with God. Now, 
when it comes to the Isaiah encounter with God, meeting that Isaiah had with God, there are certain things that I know for me will cause my passion level and the fire to increase. There are certain things that I can do in God's presence, and I actually find them in this story of Isaiah. And I'm just going to, in the remaining time that I've got, I'm just going to, going to highlight a couple of things from this Isaiah encounter. Experience, things that we need to experience when we have these meetings with God. And the first thing is this, and we see this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. I could say a lot about this, but I do believe that when we come before God, if we want to keep our passion level, we have got to, we've got to have God seated on the throne of our lives. We need to see God. We need to experience. We need to say, God, you are number one. You are on the throne of my life. I want you to be on the throne of my life. That means you are number one. Now, that seems like a terribly obvious thing to say. But the fact is, in reality, there are many things that compete for number one in our lives. But we need, to be, we need to be saying, God, you are number one. Absolutely. I can remember when I first became a Christian, that's one of the first revelations that I got. It was kind of like, God, I know you've got to be on the throne of my life. Nothing, nothing should stop me. I don't want anything to stop me. I want to be so sold out for you. I don't want, if there's anything that's going to stop it, get rid of it. And I think I probably, sh I've shared an earlier message. One of the first, one I prayed very early. I said, that means no girls for me. You know, I said, no, I said, no girls. I said, because if I get a girlfriend, I'll be distracted. I don't want to be distracted. I just want to be sold out for you. That was the dealings that I had. Because when I came to Christ, there were a lot of things that I needed to be transformed over, and I just needed God to be on the throne of my life. There, there is just some, there is a, that, that is something that causes a passion. When, when you can leave the presence of God and say, God, you are number one, I'm sold out for you. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's on the, this is God on the throne. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. This is just acknowledging God as the God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's number one. He's on the throne. You know, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's number one. Praise God. And the challenge for all of us and I know for me, after being a Christian for 40 years, is things happen and you know, you've got, you've got to pay off mortgages and you've got houses and you've got children and you've got wives and wife and you've got all, you know, you've got, you've got all of these things. <laughs> My secrets are emerging. <laughs> and there are other things that can sort of get their way there. The things, but in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek first his kingdom on the throne, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. That was Isaiah. He saw the Lord seated upon the throne. The next, the next thing about Isaiah, and about this encounter, Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 4 to 7, is that Isaiah got a revelation of grace. A revelation of grace. It reads like this, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Look, that is pretty intense. 
woe to me. You can see the passion. You can see the, the, the he is troubled. He has had an encounter with God, and, he's, and now he's saying, woe is me. I am ruined. I, I, I have done so many things wrong. This is a man who is under deep condemnation of his sin. And I just want to throw this out as well from, a, from, an, from an evangelistic point of view. This is the encounter that people who, if they don't know Christ, when they do meet, see the Lord at a time of judgment. And we don't like talking about this, but we really should. If someone doesn't know Christ, they will see God sitting on the throne of judgment and they will say, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. They know they aren't forgiven. But that's only, only part of this story. That was the initial thought. But then, then it goes, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You, you can just imagine how this man felt. He's there, oh, woe is me, I'm in trouble. This is, God is seated upon the throne and, and look at me, I've done, but, but I've been forgiven. No guilt. God, God has nothing against me. He's completely forgiven me. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, God, thank you so much. We need those times. We need to be aware of the grace that is upon our life. It is a passionate thing when we know what God has saved us from and what he's taken us to, not through anything that we've done, but by, by his sheer grace. It's, God, I just want to thank you for 40 years you've kept me. You've saved me. You love me so much. I'm, I'm, I, I am overwhelmed. It's like the woman who went to the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee, and Jesus came in and she just cried over. She was cried and she put perfume on him and just, you know, and and... She was so passionate with her love for Jesus, so full of passion. And Jesus said to the Pharisee, this woman has, she has a revelation of how much she's been forgiven. We, so we've got to know that. We can't just think, oh, you know, well, we've we just got to be aware of the grace that is upon us. Praise God. Um, forget that Ephesians scripture, Jenny. But what I just want to say is it's the revelation that John Newton John Newton wrote a hymn about grace that I think is probably the greatest revelation of grace and the most widely loved hymn of grace or song ever called Amazing Grace. And you just think of the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, lost, I was lost. Now I'm found, was blind. I was blind, but now I see. That man was, he was a really bad man and he got saved and he just changed the world through love because of what the grace that was on his life. We can't forget that. It, it will cause us to have passion. God, you are, on, you are number one in my life and God, thank you. I, I will never stop living with an attitude of gratitude because of what you've done for me. Praise God. The, th the, third, thing, the third thing that happened Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, beginning of that verse. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. You want passion in your life? Let's start hearing God's voice. God wants to speak to you. When we come into his presence with a meeting with God, it's not just one-way traffic of God, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this. He wants to speak, and he wants to speak profound things to you. 
And I don't need to say much about that because last week, um, Julie and Lee gave an amazing message about, about hearing God's voice, the still small voice. And when you hear him speak to you, it does something. You come alive. Praise God. You know, there was the... Um, Luke 24, verse 32. <laughs> when the disciples are walking, Jesus has just been crucified. Jesus walks with them. He talks to them. They don't recognize him. And then he, and he opens up the scriptures and they said, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn when he spoke to us? Your heart will burn when you have an encounter, an Isaiah encounter, and you hear God's voice. It causes a burning to come. Not only that, but Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the scripture, the scripture that we all know. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the rema. Faith comes by hearing the rema of God. There's just something about that. Isaiah heard God's voice, and then finally, we respond to God's call. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, heard the voice, whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? God's always, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, well, the harvest is out there. There's people everywhere, just everywhere, 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 everywhere. One of the reasons that I started, started witnessing right from the word that I received Christ is because I was well aware that before I became a Christian, I was without God and without hope. I was well aware that I had been a member of the kingdom of darkness and I'd been rescued from it. And now I had God and I had hope. And I was aware that the people around me, especially my family and my friends, were without God and without hope. What choice did I have? I couldn't keep quiet. And, you know, God says that. He says, the harvest is everywhere. And he says, pray that the Lord will send workers out of the harvest. This is God's heart. Jesus sees a church so expansive with energy that they're going to literally force back evil and powers of darkness. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, but we can advance and see his kingdom advancing. It's an Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And this man, who is now incredibly passionate He's experienced, he's seen God. He's had an encounter. He's, he's totally aware of the grace upon his life and he's just overwhelmed with, with the grace. He's hearing God's voice and he's just saying, God, here I am, send me, send me, send me, send me. When Jesus saw this church, this advancing church, he didn't just see Peter and John doing a miracle. He saw, he said, I will, send, I will pour my spirit upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's everybody who's got, who's, got, who's got the Holy Spirit. And can I just say, when you put up your hand, like I did on day one with no Bible knowledge, no maturity, every bad habit you can imagine in my life, but I just went out there and I thought, I want to lead people to Christ. I'll open my mouth and hope something good comes out. And in that first year, I think about 15 of my friends did come to Christ because good stuff did come out, even though sometimes it was kind of like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> if I look back and I thought, oh, that doctrine was terrible. But anyway, God, God, God can honor that. But when we put up our hand, it causes us to be passionate. Just two days ago, I'll just finish with this, just, just, just two days ago, again, I just had one of those, those passionate, passionate moments. Um, 
I went to the shops, I had to buy some things, and I was in a bit of a hurry, went to the shop, thought, go to the shops before the traffic, before the South Melbourne market crowd gets there. So I got there early and went to Aldi, and as I walked out, I saw my, the guy who I witnessed to. He was sitting there. I thought, oh, I don't really have time. Anyway, so I, go there, mate. And he jumped up and he said, let's do coffee. I'll shout. I said, oh, could we do it next week? And he said, no, no, we're going to do it now. We're gonna do it. And so I said, okay, let's do coffee now. But with him on the bench, they're both, <laughs> this is 8.30 there, there's another guy and he's drinking port at 8 o'clock in the morning. These are derelict alcoholic guys. And God has put this man on my heart. I saw him um, a few weeks ago and as I was on the escalator going back to my car, I almost started crying. I got tears in my eyes because I thought, this man is so broken. He is so broken. And I thought, okay, God, you've put him on my... I, I highlighted here. So I actually went up to him a couple of weeks ago and I said, hey, mate, um, didn't quite know what to say. I just said, I just want to let you know how much God loves you. And he sort of looks up at me and he, he says... He says, I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus loves me, but everybody else thinks I'm a bleep, bleep, bleep. I thought, oh, that was a funny line. But <laughs> that's what he said. And um, I said, mate, he, he just loves you. He's got a, a future. And he says, oh, I am just psh, written off. And I said, no, you're not. Anyway, and, and since then, I've been praying for him. I've been praying, God, just help me. So he was there two days ago. And I thought, I don't quite know what to do. I've, I've not had an opening. There's been no invitation. No one likes to force themselves upon people. I don't like the thought of just Bible bashing people. It, you know, I, I like to be inv invited. But So I went up to him and I said, hey, um, I'd love to sit down and have a pastoral talk with you at some stage. And he gone, nah, 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 like that. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, no, I'm serious. And he knows my heart. He knows I care for him. And I didn't know how that would go. Anyway, so I went off with my other friend and we had coffee for an hour. I've not been able to witness to him either. But after an hour, I said to him, I said, do you actually know what a Christian is? And he said, nah. I said, would you, I said, next, next week, let's get, get together and I'll explain to you exactly what a Christian is. I said, it'll blow your mind. And he said, I'd love to hear that. So I'm, I'm praying now. I'm thinking, okay, God's given me some massive openings here. And so I went back and I walked back to, back to the car park and the other guy was still sitting there, you know, drinking his port. And um, as I walked past, I said, see you, mate. And he said, he said, yeah, I'll see you next week. And I thought, he's remembered. And I went up and I said, um, I said, you want to see me? He said, yeah. I said, what day? He said, Wednesday. Wednesday, I'm going back there. I'm going to have a pastoral talk to this guy. And... Um, I am believing that God's going to do something. Anybody who is just drinking four or five bottles of port starting at 8 o'clock in the morning <laughs> is not in a good state. But these are the things that, for me, keep my passion levels going. And for me, it starts with encounters. Because as I've said before, when I saw that guy, I was praying and I said, Lord... Who, who can I witness to? And his face came into my mind. God leads us and guides us. Anyway, hope that's helpful for you, the whole thing. That because I, I'll tell you this, Echo Church, and I've got to say I, I, I love the name, Echoing, the things of heaven. Can you imagine what this church would like, would be like Justin and Lee? 
if you two, and I mean, you know who are ready, but if, if everybody here, like Isaiah said, Lord, here I am, send me. I don't exactly know what to do, but I'm, I just want to now dedicate my life, part of my life now, part of my culture, part of who I am as a believer is, I am believing I'm going to influence people into the kingdom of God and I'm going to make an effort. I tell you what, there will be a spirit of revival here. It would be amazing. You would see people coming in. One of these days, you're going to see me coming in with somebody who is not very well dressed, who might smell of alcohol. It's not going to bother you. But can you imagine if, if, we, if we just saw that? It would. That is the type of church that Jesus saw, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell would be able to hold it back. Amen. Lord God, I just want to pray right now for this wonderful congregation, these, these, the, the, these people, your, your family, new creations in Christ. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that, that in the, the times ahead, that every one of them will be able to just have such incredible encounters with you. Just as we prayed earlier for, for our new Prime Minister, I pray this for all of us here, that we'll have such encounters with you that our hearts will literally burn for you. And Lord, I pray that we will recognize that we don't have to be a Bible college student with a, with a, a degree. or We don't have to have our lives 100% perfect. We, we already are part of your family. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got hearts of love. And I pray, Lord God, that, that like a mighty army, like a mighty army, this church will influence the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen.